Thank you for listening to this podcast from The Resting Place Tampa. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear, and we would love to see you at a gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. All right, so I'm, I changed up my message a little bit from this morning, and I put the end at the beginning because I think it's more appropriate. And uh, if I were to give this message a title, which I didn't do this, this for the first service, it would be called, Don't Look Away. Don't Look Away. And the first part I want to read in is in uh, Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul, the king of run-on sentences. If you ever read Paul's epistles, you know. He has like eight paragraphs, all commas. And all of the English teachers just cringe. It is, it's terrible. But what he says is beautiful. So Ephesians chapter 3, um, Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus. And in verse 8, he says, you know, he kind of gives some pleasantries. I'm the least of all the saints. Then he says in verse 9, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of all ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus. So there's stuff hidden in God, who created, and then in verse 10, to the intent. So this is God's intention that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. Now he could just stop there, but he didn't but that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, that's us, to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. So the calling of this house is really wrapped up in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. Like the resting place is called to let the principalities and powers of Tampa know the wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, who God is. Now, they know in in a sense, but they're hoping that it's not actually going to manifest and happen. So when this house operates in her calling, the principalities and powers are like, dang, God is bigger than I thought. You understand? Like the spirit of abortion that rests on Tampa, when this house operates in her calling, that spirit gets toppled and overthrown and says, oh, dang, God really is powerful. So it's no accident that the calling of this house is for the lost to be found, the found to be free. But that last part, it's the last part that's the trigger for peace to reign in the city. That's, if you're new here, if you're a guest, that's, the, that's you know, the bread and butter of this house is that this, we will not rest until you walk down the street in the middle of downtown Tampa and you sense the peace of the Prince of Peace, that the Prince of Peace, the person of Jesus manifests himself in the city of Tampa. And it's more than just Tom Brady coming and winning Super Bowls for us. We'll take that too. (laughs) So the question is, how, how is God going to manifest the Prince of Peace in the city of Tampa? How on earth is this house going to walk out her calling? And the key is in the title, Don't Look Away. So the text, the, the real waistline text is found in 1 Samuel, or sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 16. 2 Samuel chapter 16. And uh, I'm going to read a little bit in, in uh, verse chapter 15. 
and then just give us some context. 2 Samuel uh, 15. Let me give you a little setting first before I read it. So David, King David, King of Israel, Jerusalem, um, his son Absalom, his third son, basically staged a coup. Absalom sat at the gate in Jerusalem. Anytime somebody would walk into the city, he'd be like, oh, hey, you're so handsome. He'd be like, hey, I love you. And basically sweet talk the people of Israel for a period of time. So they fell in love with Absalom and stopped falling in love with their King David. And, you know, things culminated to a point where Absalom was going to take over. And instead of squaring off and fighting his own son, David left. So that's chapter 15. David leaves Jerusalem. And if you look in verse 30 of chapter 15, it says, so David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went up. And he had his head covered and went barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and they went up weeping as they went up. So we're kind of catching the setting. It's It's a dark day. It's a terrible day. Not only did David face the most colossal betrayal of his life and ministry, but he couldn't do anything about it, and he had to leave. And so there was actually a point where they said, uh, David, King, we're going to bring the the Ark of the Covenant. And he said, no, leave it there, because I'm trusting that God is going to work all this out. And so they're leaving, tail between their legs, weeping, their head covered in shame, looking down. It was a dark day. And if things were not bad enough, we come to chapter 16 in verse 5. So I'm going to read verse 5 through 14. You can read along with me on the, on the screen or in your Bibles. It says, Now when King David came to Baharim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Jerah, coming from there. He came out cursing continuously as he came, and he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David. And all the people and the mighty men were uh, on his right hand, and on his left. Also, Shimei said thus when he cursed, come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into your hand, into the uh, hand of Absalom, your son. Now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to the king why should this dead dog, or said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. Oh, that's a great part. I love that part. I don't, maybe it's just, I'm a dude. I just, I would love to have a, a friend like that. But the king said, what have I to do with you, sons of Zeruiah? Let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, curse David. Who then shall say, why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all his servants, see how my son who came from my own body seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite let him alone and let him curse for so the Lord has ordered him. It may be be that the Lord will look on my affliction and the Lord will repay me with good for cursing this day. And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones and kicked up dust. Now the king and all the people who were with him became weary, so they refreshed themselves there. Wow. Crazy story. As if things weren't bad enough, treason, uh, you know, all the things from his own son, he's leaving, and this jabroni from 
this, the house of Saul, Shimei, comes and starts throwing stones, cursing, kicking up dust, making a scene. I mean, basically adding insult to injury to insult to injury. And, you know, you would think poor David would be like, really? Are you kidding me? Come on. I know I would. That's what I would say. But I think it's curious what Shimei is doing. And I think there's stuff for us in, in all of it. First thing is he's from the family in the house of Saul. So he kind of represented the, the king that David replaced. And so he has maybe kind of represented David's past. And so David's past was coming back to haunt him. Uh, he, he would say, come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man. So he was accusing David. He was ascribing a different name onto David than the name that he, than he deserved, right? And it was a name that probably there was the temptation for David to believe it because it aligned with some of the things in his past. I mean, he had slaughtered a bunch of people. He'd cleaned his sword off, sword off a bunch of times. He killed Goliath. You know, it, it wasn't a stretch for, you, for somebody to look at David and be like, yo, you, you bloodthirsty. And so Shimei was kind of casting some lies on David's life, trying to put a different name on him. Shimei, um, he accused him, and, I, and I, I was thinking about this earlier, like he almost, Shimei sounded like David's brothers, David's brother Eliab. Remember when David came to battle with Goliath, Eliab looks at him and goes, you're just bloodthirsty. He didn't use that word, but he goes, you're here to see the battle. And so it's funny how the enemy will come and accuse us multiple times, hoping for us to find agreement because they sound the same. He said, you're caught in your own evil. He's basically heaping shame, condemnation, guilt on David. The devil doesn't play fair. Our adversary will go for the jugular. He will go after your kids. It's not fair how he fights. It's crazy. If you read the story, Shimei takes stones and throws them at a proven stone thrower. I'll bet when David slew Goliath with a stone, he never thought just a few years later, stones would be thrown at him. Shimei was giving David ammunition. Imagine the stone lands next to David and he's thinking, you know what I could do with this thing? Punk. You know? Do you even know what I could do with this? And Shimei for sure knew. But our adversary oftentimes overplays his hand and doesn't know what he's doing. You know, it also speaks, I think, to seasons in the kingdom of God. Like, there was a season where David was allowed to throw stones. This was a season where David wasn't. It's good to know the season you're in. It's good to know. And then there's this guy, Abishai, who says, David, let me go over there and take off his head. I mean, what a temptation. If David wasn't tempted, he, he probably could have thought, well, I don't want that guilt on me, but Abishai, you go ahead, take him. Remove his head from his shoulders. And then we all have an Abishai in our life at some point. But um, I think that because of what this house is called to do, the provocation is going to be heavy. Because we're called to bring peace to a city, um, principalities aren't just going to sit back and let it happen and just let you guys do what you're called to do. Like, 
The devil double teams those who score the most points. I don't know if you ever played basketball, but if you got somebody on the other team who's, who's shooting all the threes, you put two people on him and you leave the, the weenie over there who doesn't know how to you know, dribble, you leave him alone because he's not scoring any points. I'm saying this to encourage you that if you have found adversity in your life and if you found opposition, if you found provocation, it's because you're scoring points in the kingdom. I love that David refused to be provoked. He refused because he didn't look away. He didn't look away. I mean, you read. Look what he says. When it finally comes down, all these options are before him. He's got lethal stones on the ground. Abishai with a sword in his hand, ready to go remove the guy's head. I mean, he's got an army that he could mobilize. I mean, no problem. And, and the guy should have been dead anyway. He's of the house of Saul, right? But look what David says. Look at how many times he says the word Lord. He says in verse 10, but the king said, what have I to do with you, sons of Zuria? So let him curse because the Lord has said to him, curse David. And then in verse 11, David said to Abishai and all the servants, see how my son came from my own body, seeks my life. How much more may this Benjamite let him alone, let him curse for so the Lord ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for cursing this day. I've found that our adversary, he's got a few tactics and probably the the one he does the most is to try to get our eyes off of Jesus. If he can just break the gaze that we have with the King of Kings and get us looking at our problems. I mean, if anyone had a reason to look at the, his problems, it was David here. But he refused. He wouldn't look away. He kept saying, but the Lord, but the Lord, but the Lord. Well, look what your son's doing. Yeah, but look what the Lord Fix eyes on Jesus. Our adversary, his, his tactics, he, he wants to distract us, he wants to deceive us, and he wants to accuse us, right? So we see distraction happening. I mean, Shimei is trying to get David to stop his connection, his focus on the Lord. I think Shimei was demonic in all this. How would, I mean, Shimei knew exactly the terms to use to try to get David to believe a lie. That's how our adversary works. He's a fisherman. He fishes in our minds and our thoughts and he tries to, he puts things that sound probable and sound possible and maybe look delicious looking for alignment and agreement and belief. So the devil's fishing and probably this morning he went fishing in your mind saying, you're not that good of a Christian. Oh, look, you're late or you're, you're not a real worshiper. He is placing things in it and a good fisherman will put stuff in front of a fish and make it look so alive and so delicious. So the fish bites it. And the minute you bite the lie, the hook takes you, takes you somewhere you don't want to go, which is my dinner plate. I have the, the adversary, my adversary, our adversary has fished in my mind more than I would like to believe. I mean, you're not good enough. You've used up all the grace of God allotted to you and there's no more. Uh, God, you're, you're a second class citizen. Um, God is punishing you 
God's forgotten you. You deserve this. This is your fault. God's mad at you. And he places it that in, in ways that seem probable. You're bloodthirsty. This is your own fault. You, look at all the evil that's come back on you. You can't make your bills because of you. It's your fault. And that's how our adversary works. He fishes in our mind with stuff that seems kind of believable, and he hopes for us to believe it. And I love David because he didn't. He didn't believe it. He didn't take the bait, didn't bite the lie. I live in Boone, North Carolina. There's streams there, beautiful, you know, crystal clear water, and there's trout there. And my son and I, we go fishing. My youngest, Aiden, he's 18. And uh, we go fishing, you know, there. And we've only caught, like, dinky little trout like this. And last year, fishing season, I saw this big, like, foot-and-a-half rainbow trout swimming up the stream in a place that is like a public, it's called the Greenway. I mean, everybody walks there. People fish there all the time. And somehow, after all these years, this giant fish has not landed on anyone's plate. And as I was thinking about this message, I thought about that fish. And I thought, that fish refused to buy the lie. No matter how many lures were placed in front of that fish, it wouldn't bite. And I believe that that fish represents this house. That the resting place will refuse to buy the lie as the enemy fishes and tries to bring discouragement or deception. And we're going to say, no, 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 we're not looking away. Because what happens when you look away, you stare at your problem. You stare at the difficulty. You know, you're staring at the Shimei in your life. You're staring at the Absalom in your life. You're staring. And what happens to your problem when you look at it, it gets bigger. You stare at how empty your bank account is, it gets emptier. <laughs> right? But when you lock eyes with Jesus, your God gets big and your problems get small. And you, get, you gain a kingdom perspective. So it could be that you walked in here today, and it's very possible, like many of us, are, you walked in with big problems. And I hope by the time you walk out, your problems start to shrink as your God gets big, and you realize the promises are, are for you, that all things do work together for good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I love where the story ends in verse 14. So they refreshed themselves there. And so when I, when I look back on this story, I think this was a divine setup. Like God in his wisdom wanted to refresh David and his family and his, his people. And so he sent Shimei so they could be refreshed. Because God knew that as soon as David kept lock, eyes locked with God, refreshing would come because he had cultivated the oil of intimacy in the place of prayer. Like he refused to fix eyes on anything else except for the Lord. The Lord has called us the Lord. I'm not going to be distracted. I'm not going to look away. I know where we're going and I know what he's called us to do. The secret of the resting place accomplishing her calling is to keep eyes locked with the king. And when your eyes are locked with the king, adversity becomes your ladder to intimacy. Like, it's the thing that will give you lift. It's the thing that will lift you up. There's a hobby that I've been in in the past and I'm saving up to get into it again called paramotoring, where basically you have a parachute above your head, pretty much a lawnmower on your back with a fan and you can fly. It is amazing. But what happened, th there's three rules to paramotoring. The rules are 
take off into the wind, take off into the wind, and take off into the wind. And what that means is, is, is if you try to take off with the wind, your, your wing isn't going to catch the air and it's going to collapse and you're not going to go anywhere. But if you figure out where the wind is coming, up, you, coming from and you face it and you run at it, you run at the wind, you run to the battle, your wing comes up and the next thing you know, the things that used to pull you down aren't pulling you down anymore and you're soaring above it. And I just see this in this passage with David where he didn't let anything pull him down. No provocation. Nothing Shimei did could get his gaze off the king. If Shimei had known that his attempt to bring discouragement and disaster would have resulted in David's refreshing, he never would have done it. He never would have done it. He would have left him alone. And if the devil knew what his attempts to bring you down were going to accomplish, he would never do it. But this house will be the devil's regret. Like the devil will regret he ever messed with you. All right, I got to bring it in for a landing. When you're called to bring peace to a city... You have to experience the Prince of Peace at the deepest level. And you don't experience the Prince of Peace at the deepest level when everything's wonderful and nice, unfortunately. <laughs> it's true. Like, the Lord almost allows us to experience the valley so that we can say, oh, you're here too, yeah. right? Wow. He allows us to experience difficulties so we can say, oh, you're here too. And, and really, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, set, I'm hoping to set your gaze for the next 20 years that, yeah, difficulty can come, but we won't, we won't look away. We won't look away. A few years ago, I was in the capital of the DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo. I was at work and I'd woken up early because of the jet lag. So I started to pray and I started to whine to God. I don't know if you've, ever, if you've ever whined to God before. And I was basically trying to tell him how to lead my life better. <laughs> I was like, Lord, if I had known the things I know now, if I had known them in my 20s and my 30s, we could have saved a lot of time and heartache. Have anybody ever had that conversation with the Lord? Okay, I'm not the only one. I'm like, surely, Lord, you're smarter than that, right? I know, that's scary. And he didn't get offended. This is how he responded. It was so wonderful. In just the kindest way, he said, James, don't you know that you're my workmanship? And I, had, I knew that the word workmanship was the Greek word poema because I had just preached on it a little while ago. And, and, and so when God speaks, it's like one statement with like all these implications. And so I just knew, I was like, what the Lord was saying was, James, I know you would prefer that I author your life in a different order. I know you would prefer that you don't experience difficulty. I know you would rather everything to be a little easier. I know you would rather this stanza of the poem of your life to be, maybe be at the beginning and this stanza to be erased, but you need to trust my authorship of your life. That with precision, the Lord is writing my story. And you need to know that the same author is writing with precision your story. And he has brought this house into your life as for such a time as this because you're called to be a part of it. 
And you can trust him. And so the result is you can trust that God is going to redeem all the stuff of the past. And he's got so much ability to work out the future. And it gives you freedom to say, Lord, I'll lock eyes with you and I won't look away. So what that means corporately is that individually, as you lock eyes with the king, you will fulfill your role in the house and that will, fill, for, that will free the papa of the house, Caleb, to fulfill his role. That's how families work. So for instance, when I pastored a church, I sat down with my family and I said, all right, kids, this is what it means for daddy to pastor a church. This is what it means for Sundays. This is what it means for evenings. This is what it means. And I just, and they knew that I was not, I wasn't called to pastor separately from them, that we were doing this as a family and everyone was pitching in. Um, when I got this new role now, working in Africa with Operation Christmas Child, now my family knows, okay, September and October are heavy travel seasons for dad. And in October, I'm going to be home five days because it's our conference season. And I've got to do a lot of stuff. But it's okay. There's grace for it. And it's beautiful. And my family is prepared to do it because we do it as a family. So why do I share all that? Because Caleb was playing the guitar today, and he should not be playing the guitar Caleb is the apostolic leader of this house. And if he's playing guitar, it means that the guitar player that's supposed to be playing is in the seat and not signed up. So I'm just saying that to lovingly encourage you that you were called as a family. And as a family, everybody pitches in. Everybody gives. Everybody serves. And the result, you need to understand that everybody wins in this. And the winning means peace reigns in the city. So if you're, in, if you're in kids' area changing diapers, your serving there will make peace reign in the city. And when Caleb is meeting with other pastors and bringing unity to the body of Christ in the church of Tampa, you play a part in that, and you're a part of the reward as well. And so you, that's what it means to be a part of this family and where, where it's going for the next 20 years is that one day the Prince of Peace will literally walk down the streets of Tampa when he returns and we get to prepare the way for him. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from The Resting Place Tampa. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear and we would love to see you at a gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.